0: Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at CelebrationChurchLive.com. We are in the last part of a series uh, that we've called Raising the Bucket, and we've subtitled that uh, Loving Deeper, that God has called us To love deeper. And if you're new with us, I'll explain the whole bucket thing and what that means. Um, But if you've got your Uversion app, uh, you can go ahead and open that up on your phone or web-enabled device. you got the bulletin we handed you on the way in. We've been looking and getting going with this concept right here. That the the love of God has raised us up to love others more than we ever thought possible. More than we ever thought possible possible. And I hope, I hope that you are stretching yourself on so many levels. I hope that you recognizing that the life God has called us to live is a bigger life than we ever thought possible. The, the scriptures say that he does exceedingly, abundantly, above anything that we could ask or imagine. We've got a big God who's got big plans for us. And a lot of times it's real easy to have those plans get real myopic and and real short-sighted and get them all focused on us. But we need to have this place where we are stretching ourselves to love like God loves and love more than we ever thought possible. We've looked at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10 um, every week throughout this series as our launching um, concept. And it simply says this, that God's not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. So he says, you've shown love to God by helping his people and continue to do that. That's how God is receiving love. He is just drinking it in, this love as you and I care for and connect with or are involved in one another's lives. This is a mandate on us as Christ followers. We have to be engaged with one another's lives. And we have to help one another. Help usually means there's a problem. There's a problem. There's a financial problem. There's a physical problem. There's a, there's a, a, a spiritual problem. There's an emotional problem. There's some sort of brokenness. And you and I are called to run headlong into other people's brokenness. A lot of people are like, I don't have time for your drama. i got drama of my own. Well, guess what? If all of us act like that, man, all of a sudden, the drama is just going to expand. Because most of us, the big stuff in our life is bigger than we can handle. It's bigger than you and I can handle on our own. But there's nothing as the body of Christ comes together that we can't deal with together. There's a long parable that Jesus gets into this concept of us jumping in and meeting one another's physical needs and, and, and genuine, earthy, gritty needs. And let's look at Matthew 25. Matthew 25, verse 34 says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And then the king will reply. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. One of these, it says, one of these that I consider family. One of these that are close to me, you did it for one of the least of these, you did it for me. Now, just as a reminder, so we're all again on the same page. God does not have this list of great and least. God doesn't have one of those. He loves all of us the same. So why on earth is he saying whatever you've done to the least? Somebody's the least. There's a least list somewhere. Where's he coming from? It's our lease list. You and I have a lease list. You and I have the people that we love to hang out with, and they're the people we don't want to be around. They're the people that you know how it happens. You go to the H-E-B, and you're going along, and you hit that aisle, and you see them. (laughs) And you back up, and you're like, you know what, we just don't need groceries. I'm out here. Sweetheart, we're eating out. And you, and you, just, and you just leave. You're like, I, I, we're, we're, we're done. I don't want to be in, on the aisle with that person. I don't want to be in the store with that person. And guess what? That's a lease list alert right there. You're like, I just don't even want to be having the same oxygen with this person. And usually there's a reason. We're not just randomly isolating people. Usually there's a reason. There's a reason. They've hurt us or they hurt somebody we care about. And that we think there's a good reason why I don't want to be around this person. There's pain and, and something associated with it. But, but God has called us to love, in a greater way, the people that we love the least. That's what he's called us to. In fact, that's what's been the metaphor for our series of this bucket. We've talked about it all the time. It's become lingo in our team of man that's... Of, man, Stretching my love bucket, and um, but if you're new here for this, then this wooden bucket is there's a bunch of wooden staves across here, wooden little wooden boards, okay, and uh, each one of these represents a person in our life, and we tend to do this where we get all the people we like, and we tend to kind of squish squish them all together. You know, they're our family, they're our friends, our peer group, you know, if some of you are having some folks over to watch a game this afternoon. Um, these are the people who you invited, okay? You invited the, the people that are the tall ones in your bucket. Uh, you did not say, hey, let's invite all the people that drive us up the wall um, and let's feed them and hang out with them for three and a half hours. And so we don't do that. And so we get all the people we like. And then, when we have all the people we like in one room and we're having the best time ever and everything's kicked back, and then the the time's over and we're hugging each other like, can't wait till next time. And man, I tell you what, we feel the love and we feel like we are the most loving people on the planet. Man, you just feel it, just the, the warmth and the hospitality, and it's so nice. And we should have that, but it should not stop there and according to this passage of scripture in Matthew 25 as much as we would define ourselves as loving Jesus doesn't use that moment to say that was your love moment for me he didn't say that there's another moment because guess what there's not the only people in our buckets all of a sudden we track along here and there's oh no there's this person who they're like friends with this person or married to this person. And they got, because I want this person at the game today. I get stuck with this person. And so they're going to, but you know, they're not horrible. Um, and so we'll, we'll, we'll make it all right. And so we'll, we'll deal with this. And we have those. But then there's also these people. These people that seem to drain us. That everything just comes leaking out that whenever we think about having to deal with them, we just want to tilt our bucket away from that so we can have some love over here and feel loving and we'll just alienate this person. In fact, if it was up to us, we would yank this person out, tighten in our bucket and call it all good. Whew, that person just was not even around me. Lord, take them to the other side of the planet. I think they need to go to India. <laughs> yeah, I believe they're called to go to minister in India. And so we want them gone. But we all know, you ask a kindergartner, what's the capacity of this bucket? How much can this bucket hold? And they know, this is what the bucket can hold. It doesn't matter that this has all happened over here. This is what the bucket holds. And we wish it held all that, but this is what it holds. And so God is asking us, and he says, whatever you've done to the least... You've done it to me. So for us to increase our love, then all of a sudden we've got to be able to raise our bucket and be able to love people that maybe we would have a hard time, maybe we do have a hard time loving, and feel completely justified in having a hard time loving. And God's asked us to love them. And it's because, he said, whatever you've done, at least to these brothers and sisters of mine, you don't even want to be around them, but I call them family. Whatever you've done to them, you've done to me. And it starts with understanding because it matters to God, it ought to matter to us. I had an amazing expression of this years ago, and Cutie and I were dating. So I was living here, attending ASU. Cutie was in uh, uh, Odessa. And Diamond Rio, does anybody remember the band Diamond Rio? Diamond Rio was coming to ASU and having a concert. And uh, my, my wife liked country music. I did not. Uh, but hey, I was like, I'll do a little country music stuff. And felt like I was really stepping into her world, being, being a real guy here. And so little did I know, little did I know, uh, man, that she was like way, like way better than me. And so I should have known it. Um, but I have, I've loved classic Mustangs since I was a kid. I, I, we've had the pleasure of having two, a 66 and a 67. You know, I've heard the story, if you've been around here, of me wrecking my 67. Um, but anyways, at this point in time, I was like I am now, Mustangless, And so have no Mustang. And, uh, and so, but I, I liked them. And Cutie knew I liked them. And so my sister, Heather... Uh, knew about Mustangs and was able to, to be able to tell the difference. And she knew the, a few of the nuances, and she could say, okay, that's a 66, that's a 67, that's a 68. She'd be able to tell the difference by, by looking. And so one evening, my sister Heather and, and Cutie get in the car, drive around Odessa, find old Mustangs, and Cutie learns what the Mustang... It couldn't even do it like on the Internet. We didn't have the Internet back in 1993. And so... Alec Gore had not invented it yet, and so um, the uh, uh, we anyway. So we uh, she didn't. We then weren't able to pull it up. She had to drive around town, burn gas, and go find these Mustangs. So she learns what's this? What's going on? And I, I'm clueless. I have no idea. So we're driving through. Andrew going to get our bite to eat. Driving through Angelo. I'm showing her how good I know this crazy laid-out town. Somebody. Uh, that had way too much alcohol, drew the roads of San Angelo. It is messed up. And just to prove it to you, if you're coming in from Grape Creek and you get um, to Beauregard and somebody says, how do I get to Avenue Inn from here? Um, Do I go straight or do I turn? The answer is yes. (laughs) That should not be the answer. You should not be able to turn right or go straight and both ways get to Avenue Inn. That is messed up. But anyway, so I'm cutting through. So we're cutting through, the, through uh, Oxford, going through, the, through College Hills. And um, as we're driving along, there's a car approaching. And I'm sitting there visiting with her. We're excited about her, her little date. And, and car's coming up, and we're passing. And I notice that it's a Mustang. And so, but I'm being nice and being good and keeping my attention on my gorgeous woman. And the car comes by, and I notice what year it is and all those different things. And we're talking and she casually says, that's a 66. And she was right. (laughs) Oh my gosh. She just screamed, I love you, Brandon Clark. It was amazing because she didn't care at all about classic Mustangs. I guarantee she couldn't tell the difference between a 67 Mustang and a 67 Nova. I mean, she couldn't tell the difference between anything. And so she doesn't know now. But then when she was making sure the hook was set good, she could tell. She knew. And, uh, and so, man, but I tell you what, that, and I was like, how did you do that? She's like, well, you know, we went out and driving around, and oh, my gosh, I found out that she spent time to care about something that was important to me, that she didn't care about at all. And, man, that spoke love to me so deeply. Folks, you and I, that's what God has called us to do. We, we would love for it to simply be to show up. And to spend our time here in in the sanctuary, and we we sing our songs, and we have our church stuff, and we say our prayers at night, and that to be our only expression of love to God. But our greatest and highest expression of love to God is loving on one another. Loving on one another. In fact, let's look at John chapter 21. John chapter 21, we have here, um, Peter is being um, restored and he had already denied Jesus. And Jesus is, he's dealing with resurrected Jesus. And Jesus is, is getting his disciples going. And he's having a, he's having a little uh, uh, lakeside breakfast with them. It says, And when he had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, You'd know that I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Take care of the ones that I want to take care of. Feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said to Simon, son of John, Do you love me? And he answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. And then the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, Do you know that, I mean, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time. He says, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Every time Peter's answer was, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter desperately wanted Jesus to just know it. To just know it. To just know it. It's like the, the old joke of the, the couple that's been married for 60 years. And the wife's mad and she's like, he's like, why are you mad? He says, I'm just sick of it. You never tell me you love me. He said, I told you I loved you on the day we were married. If I'd have changed my mind, I'd have told you. <laughs> he wanted her to just know it. And that's not enough. I guarantee you that does not work in my house. If I can't just say, "Baby, I just need you to know I love you. Just be aware of it. No, it's got to be shown. It has to be shown. And that was what Jesus was pounding into Peter. Peter was about to take the lead role with the early church for, for the next good while. And he needed Peter, who was going to be leading the early church, to understand that loving God and caring for God's people are one and the same. There's no differentiation. We can't say, God, I love you, God, I love you, God, I love you, and alienate and be disconnected from God's people. We can't treat people bad and think that we're showing God love. We can't do it. And this will transform everything. As we've gone through this series and we're wrapping it up today, we've looked at different aspects of what was the challenge, whether it was... The clothing or, or meeting physical hunger needs or basic needs or any of those different things. And today, we're going to look at dealing with those who are sick. And that love is compassionate to those who are sick. That God has called us to take care of people who, who can't take care of themselves. And to recap verse 36, Jesus says, I was sick and you looked after me. And we see in Matthew chapter 14 verse 14 that Jesus always responded to people who were sick. People who were diseased and broken and injured, he always responded and he always responded in a way of bringing healing and wholeness to them. It says and when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. He healed their sick. God is still in the healing business. Jesus didn't just heal their sick to prove his messiahship. He didn't heal the sick just so everyone would know who he was. He healed the sick because he was representing the Father, and the Father wants sick people whole. That was why he was doing it. That was why. We have to understand that. God still heals. He still cares. Now I want us to look, go back to a passage of Scripture that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. And it's a very um, well-known parable. It's parable of the Good Samaritan. And, and at the, the first part of it, there's a guy who, who's being challenged to love his neighbor. And he wants to know, who is my neighbor? He wants some definition. He don't want to have to love everybody. So Jesus says, okay, well, let's, here's your neighbor. And we saw a couple of weeks ago that every human interaction matters. Every human interaction matters. I got, a, um, I got reached out to by one of our awesome church members. I don't know, I think he was in the first service. He may not be here in the second service. And anyways, a couple of weeks ago, I'd mentioned that I don't like, I don't like to, to be rude to anybody. I don't like to cultivate that. Um, not that I'm perfect all the time by any means, but I just don't like to cultivate that action. And uh, telemarketers are one that you can kind of blow off um, and, and just say, okay, well, they don't count, um, and I can be rude to them. And, um, and so, thankfully, most of it, you can hear the pause, you know, it, 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 they take too long to say hello back. I'm just like, ding, I'm out. Um, but every once in a while, you get caught. And so, and I try to be kind, and I try to be kind. And um, this, this guy lets me know this week, uh, as part of our church, he's like, man, that Pastor, I, I tried to do it. And the guy was giving me his spiel. And he had him on speakerphone with his granddaughters in the car. And he had it giving him his spiel. And he's like, hey, you know, no, nothing personal. Um, I'm just not interested. And man, I, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and hang up now. And was super polite. You know, because what I pointed out and what's the truth is that that's somebody just trying to make rent. That somebody just trying to make rent. That somebody just ha- has a job. They're trying. Um, they're not trying to work the game, the system. They're not, they're not being a criminal. Um, So let's treat them. They've they've got a real job. Let's treat them with some dignity when we talk to them. Okay? If nobody else does, let's you and I. Let's treat them with some dignity. They're trying. Um, They interrupted your dinner? Yes, but they're trying. Um, And so anyway, so he he did that and he was was treating him with dignity but getting off the phone. um, And the guy did not respond well and just told him to some curse words and to do some inappropriate things. And... And and his kids or his grandkids are hearing it on speakerphone. And so he's like, then hangs up and then he's like, man, I wanted to call back and say, you know, and then he recognized we can't respond that way. Folks living like this um, is so counterculture. It's so not what people are used to. And I guarantee that guy would probably have been more comfortable with him cussing him out than being kind to him. And he didn't know how to respond to that. But folks, it doesn't matter how they respond. We're not doing this to try to get people to treat us nice back. So if they don't treat us nice back, no loss. We're doing this because of a God we love and serve. That we're able to see an image of God in somebody that they can't see themselves. And I'm going to treat that image of God with love and dignity and respect. And I'm going to believe that one time, at some point, they're going to make a decision to step over to death to life. And maybe one day, I'm worshiping on the same aisle with them. And I'm going to sow some good seed. And I'm going to love on them. And I'm going to treat them. And I'm never going to have to say I'm sorry for treating them in an inappropriate way. And we have to have a bigger vision to be able to live this love thing out. Because I guarantee you, it will challenge us. It's not to just try to make our own lives sweeter. It's to love on our Heavenly Father. It's to love on Him. It's to love on Him. So here's this Samaritan. um, The the guys who should have done right, man, they skirt him. They go away. Leave the guy who's been beat up, half dead, stripped naked, robbed. He's, in, he's, he's a mess. He's all these things and more um, that the first parable talked about. It says, but the Samaritan, as he traveled, he came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, gave him to the innkeeper, said, look after him. And he said, when I return, I will reimburse any extra expense you have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man that fell in the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Whether you recognize it or not, all of us here in the United States and every developed country are a direct beneficiary of early church believers living this out. Choosing to live this out. Because this was the first little example. Let's, let's look what happened. This guy comes along to a guy in broken, busted up self alongside of the road, okay? And then he picks him up and he puts him on his own donkey and he hauls him to a building, carries him in, does what he can himself, gives him his own first version of first aid, pours on oil and wine and bandages him up, leaves him in the hands of a caregiver says, I'll take care of your, phys- of your expenses, and then goes on and then comes back and says, I'm going to check on him in, in a little while. Folks, this thing happens all the time here in San Angelo. You'll see the box with the red and blue lights coming up with the sirens. We know to pull over and to let that box fly past us because they're on the way to take care of somebody who's in need and hurt and broken and need to get some care they load them up inside that box and they drive them to a building and they do what they can in route they put bandages and ointments and do what they can to care for them they carry them inside the building they hand them off to some caregivers they let them do this thing called medicine and caregiving they somebody pays the bill somebody does We can gripe all we want one way or the other, but in our culture, somebody pays the bill. But when it's all said and done, the care is given. The care is given. We can debate on who gets stuck with the bill all day long. Praise God, the care is given. And basic human medical need, emergency need, is taken care of. This happens. We take for granted having hospitals and stuff because we've grown up in this. But folks, when Jesus talked about this, this was crazy. This didn't exist. And, and our modern medical understanding of hospitals and places to be cared for is a Christian thing that came out of that Early Christ followers began to just be moved with compassion and step up. There's, I don't care if, if anybody appreciates God, believes there is a God, anybody who's ever been cared for in a hospital or a clinic has received the downstream effects of the early church taking this seriously. In fact, the first hospital in 369 A.D. was developed by Christians. And this isn't, this isn't just Christians ta- blowing their own horn. The John Hopkins uh, University put out a textbook um, uh, called Science and Technology. And in it, they had a whole thing that did it, and this is how they summed it up. It says, thus, inpatient medical care, in the sense of what we today consider a hospital, was an invention driven by Christian mercy and Byzantine innovation. We, folks, people... Who, when there were no hospitals, opened their homes to love on people and to care for the sick. For a few hundred years, and it came to the place that then hospitals came about. And they changed culture, have changed the world. Because of us taking this seriously. That we can't just huddle up and have church on Sunday and call that good. It is not enough. It's not enough. We have to care All week long, we have to be proactive. All week long, we have to be involved in other people's pain and other people's needs. All week long, for us to be who we're called to be. That is what this is about. In fact, five years after the first hospital had came about, a horrible thing called infanticide was made illegal in the Roman Empire. Now, the time before, 350 years before when we see Jesus at being crucified at that same very time period throughout the Roman Empire it was completely legal that if somebody didn't want their kid to be able to just take it out into the woods and leave it there. In fact there's a letter from Jesus' era that from a Roman centurion to his wife that tells her that if the child is a boy to keep it and if it's a girl to expose it. Exposure was the 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 legal term. And they would just leave it out there. And so many early church Christians would not tolerate that. Even though they were persecuted by these Roman people, they would take their rejected children and go pick them up and love on them and carry them into their homes and raise them as their own. And Christian mercy all of a sudden made it to where across the Roman Empire, something that was normal, normal, everyday allowed thing. They didn't think twice about it was made illegal because of the influence of some people they tried to squash and oppress. Love makes a difference. Love makes a difference. It wasn't because the Christians rallied together and got a big, strong army and went and shut down the evil empire. They went and outloved the evil empire. They were in the middle of it and they outloved it. They didn't outsort it, they didn't out-dynamite it. They didn't out-fight it. They out-loved it. And folks, you and I, we don't give love enough credit. It has transformed the world more than you ever know. And things you and I take for granted, an entire country takes for granted, was that ev- it was started by people simply taking this seriously, that I will love those who need it, no matter who, what face is on it. I'm gonna love those who need it. It changes everything. I'm about to read a, a story as we wrap this up. The story itself, it's, it says enough. But love connects people to Jesus, our healer. Mark chapter one, I mean Mark chapter two, verse one. It says a few days later, Jesus again entered Capernaum the people heard that he had come home and they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and lowering the mat the man was laying laying on. Then Jesus saw their faith. He said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We've never seen anything like this. Here are some guys who just did whatever it took, whatever it took to get. Their friend in need to Jesus, knowing that Jesus was a healer, knowing that Jesus was a healer. Folks, our next step, our next step is to care for someone who can't care for themselves, to care for somebody who can't care for themselves. This is a high and noble call. Any of you who are caring for aging parents, that is an amazing ministry. Don't get weary in doing good. As you are loving on those who had, who had brought life and had some sort of care. Maybe they weren't the best parents in the world. But as you are pouring love on them and care for them. I mean, there are so many amazing things that are lining up right there. I'm telling you, love on those aging parents. Care for them when they can't care for themselves. It is a beautiful ministry and God receives it as directly as, as loving him. Folks, our bottom line today is that caregiving is life-giving. And we're all called to be caregivers. We're all called to be caregivers. So let's allow the Holy Spirit to increase our love for those that we love the least. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.